are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. What's up, all you BC Pod freaks? This is Matt, and I'm coming to you not from my wife's closet tonight, but riding down the road in our tour bus with the whole band, Emery. Say what's up, everybody. Right on. So we're barreling down the interstate, up down I-10 between El Paso, Texas, and San Antonio in the middle of the desert, going 60 miles an hour on battery power with internet tethered from a phone. Technology is an amazing thing. And we are celebrating our release week for the Emory record this week. We're on tour. The record is out, and I have but one simple plea for you, and that is if you haven't got it yet, just go to iTunes and buy it. It's the simplest thing. If you buy it today, Monday, It will still count on our first week. Help us make a splash, a big splash for BC Music in the music industry. Things are looking up. They're looking up, especially because of the BC Club and all the people that support this podcast and everything we do. In fact, we've had so much support that we're going to be able to do some new things that we've been wanting to for a while. So we'll have some big announcements very soon. If you're asking what the BC Club is, because people often ask, what is the BC Club? It's listener support for the BC podcast and everything that we do at Bad Christian. So what we're asking is that people would contribute some money. So you maybe just a few dollars an episode, maybe $7 a month. Maybe that would cover it. And then there's some perks that you can get from that. You can get some of our music for free. We give away some books, t-shirts at different levels. But the main point of it is if you feel like paying for this podcast and you want to contribute to the things that we do, go to badchristian.com forward slash contribute and you can see all the details there. But the BC Club really is the thing that fuels all the stuff we do. Flying us to do live shows for free, making music, promoting things, launching new podcasts. Bunch of fun stuff coming up. Stay tuned. All right, we're about to enter a new episode right now. Hey, everybody on the bus, are you ready for a new episode? Three, two, one, hit it. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, we just reverse roles. You psyched me out, man. I Welcome was, to I the Bad Christian Podcast, everybody. That was actually me. That was Matt doing a little beatbox there. Well, I just want to go on the record that, Joey, you are a way better beatboxer than Matt, and I was almost ashamed of what was happening, so I'm giving you props right now. Hello? Now, the reason... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joey, you can hear us. Okay, what's going on right now is Matt and Toby are sitting here on the Emory tour bus on an off day from our tour for the question, and Joey is in Charleston in his pastor's office at the church. Is that right? You're at the pastor's office, Joey? That is not right. I'm at a different church building where Toby and I used to record before he bought his house, and it's the place where Toby is afraid of the dark even when I was walking with him down the halls. Now I'm walking through these halls by myself, and I'm not afraid at all, and I just keep thinking about my poor friend Toby who's afraid of the dark and trying to raise kids that are afraid of the dark, and too bad their old man's yellow. All right. Well, we are in different locations, and the ro- Thanks the for role- moving on, yeah. Matt. Yeah. i got to move on from that, right? Yeah. Hey, hey, sorry, Joey. I don't speak baby bitch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joey, role is reversed now. You're you're the one over, over the phone line. Toby and I are in the same room, so he I can already tell he and I have, like, a real synergy today. Yeah, we're, we're, oh, we're on point. 
That's such a great observation, Matt. Wow, the roles are reversed, man. That's smart. How is it being? Is that, in, how is why it? Why don't being, you make that? New, how is it being in Charleston without me? Are you like? Is it like massive black hole? Is it bad depression over there or what? That's what I'm saying. It's all. It's almost as good as sex. Not having you here, <laughs> almost. Where are you at on the depression meter, though? Seriously, just in all honesty, let's check in on that. You know why? Because we care about you. But let, we got to start doing in. a regular uh, depression Matt, meter. Check in. Are you Matt, red level, Matt, green level? Where are you at, Matt? I have a hard time believing that this is that you really care. I care because it affects my I podcast. <laughs> I care because it affects is, how I'm going to have to treat you for the next hour and a half. Joey, all right, so hold on, Joey. Joey, right, so hold on. Let me say one thing. Are you actually saying that? Like your good friend, like it, you. If you actually think about him, what he actually thinks about your depression, it might potentially spiral you into depression. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I just, I, I think, I think deep down inside, there's like a hybrid of Matt knows he should care, and I think Matt likes me, so that happens to be somewhat of a caring thing. But more than anything, I think Matt's like. Oh, this will be good for the podcast, and yeah. it sounded kind of good that oh, I get to check in with Joey. No, 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 depression, no. So. Let me explain. What I'm saying is, I'd like to check in on your depression, and yes, overtly, what I'm saying is, I want to know where you're at because it'll determine how I should treat my friend that I both care about and do a podcast with. Now, additionally, I do care about you. I'm not trying to sound any way that I, that I'm not. And furthermore, I think. A lot of times when people are talking about me or not caring or emotion, those things, it, I really don't think that I care less about stuff. I just think other people aren't as aware that they, they really are uh, calculated. They're, they're not as aware that they're, that, of what they're doing and why. And I think I'm just simply maybe a little more aware of what are the reasons why I want to know what I want to know. And there's reasons why I say what I say. But I don't think I'm that different. I think other people are just as selfish as me. They just don't aren't even aware of their selfishness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. It, it's so crazy how, uh, Toby, you've made this observation before of just how similar Matt is with our friend um, Ryan because at church today, Ryan said something to me that just sounded so Matt-ish. But the thing is, is, is Ryan is actually on the opposite extreme of emotions. But listen to what happened to Ryan's dad's dog. His dog like went over, ran over this cliff ahead of his dad, and his dad heard like a uh, like a violent sound. He ran down the hill, and there was like three wild dogs. That My just completely Lord. destroyed his dog. He took a gun and shot one of them, and then tried to My you know, rescue his dog. Joey, it's <laughs> the worst story, the most mean and worst, awful, god awful story I've and, ever heard on our podcast. And what does it have to do with but, what we were talking yeah, about? Yeah. Well, how does this relate to Matt's personality? <laughs> <laughs> we'll There's just cut you off there. I don't even want to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> okay, so I'll stop the story. But the tie-in is, I actually asked. Uh, Ryan, I said, Ryan, uh, because he told me this like literally like five days ago. And I said, Ryan, how's your dad doing? And he said, oh, I mean, it's pretty tough, but he's just like, I mean, you don't really care. And it, that wasn't a Joey thing, but he was just like, nobody cares about my dad and how he's mourning his dog. He's just like, nobody, I mean, if you're asking me how I'm, how he's doing, do you really care? And I was like, oh my gosh, you sound just like Matt right now. So 
you talking, you defending yourself with your questioning just reminded me a lot of him accusing me of not really well, caring. But I honestly do care about his dad because that had to be so traumatic. Yeah, oh but do you God. really care? You uh, Okay, I mean, being honest, you don't necessarily really care about animals. Do you think... I do. Is that just a... No, hold on, hold on. Is that just a... That really is a misconception of me. Is that... <laughs> it really is. It yeah. really and truly That's is. I, I do like animals. You really do, but domesticating animals deserve to. They will attack at any moment. <laughs> is what you is your mentality? But, but did, I actually do think the question would be: Do you really care about Ryan's dad's dog and how he feels about it? Is that true? Or is that just a social thing where you think I need to do this yeah, and that, that. that'll make me seem like I'm some, better than I am? Don't you think on okay. a certain level, you don't really care that his dog died by wild dogs. You, in, in fact, you even like that that's a crazy story that you got to hear. No, when I, okay, here's what I'll say. I don't care enough about it for it to really bother me throughout the course of the day. Like it would if like a close friend died or, um, some, you know, if I heard about a huge, uh, like the the shooting at that um, kindergarten. I mean, that definitely that, did bother me. That, but, that's way different, though. Oh, oh, let me hold on. Yeah. Well, so what I'm saying is, but when I think about it, and I think about how traumatic it was for Ryan's dad to see that, yeah, it. No, I, but I do but sincerely yeah, but, want to know because I like Ryan's dad. Yeah, you you like his dad and all that stuff. Are you happy that you heard that story? Would you rather have not heard a story where a dog went off on three wild dogs? Aren't you glad that you actually kind of heard that story and you have something to talk about? No, I think, honestly, I'd be a little better off not having heard that story just because it, it really is a the, – the, just the visual and everything is really traumatic. But well, all I this, would definitely say – All this is kind of avoiding of the question. You still never answered on the depression depression meter 1 to 10, <laughs> which okay, I'm still well, curious let me, about. I'm just telling you I'm about a foot – more than a foot away – and it does seem like there's occasional times when the um, when the bars go all the way out. So I'm just letting y'all know that. Like right now, it seems fine, but I don't know if I ha ha. <laughs> no matter what, don't edit this. Do this, not edit this. This is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, do some yeah, more hey, mic checks. Yeah, Joey. yeah. I mean, you, have you ever heard of anybody checking a mic and they actually say check? <laughs> ah <laughs> ah. Why check. why did that happen? You're afraid your mic's too hot, Joey. Yeah, it's it's uh it's spilling over. <laughs> <laughs> it's not clipping, it's, it's not peaking, his mic's spilling over. It's spilling over. <laughs> <laughs> um so Matt, I, I wanna I wanna reverse this. Um you you should be able to know. You know where I'm at with depression. You've been talking to me now for twenty minutes. You've been on tour when I've been super depressed. You've heard me try to defend the fact that I'm not depressed and you've seen the BS through it. You tell me, how am I doing? All right, well, a normal human is a 10, and a zero is you kill yourself, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, but... <laughs> oh, my Lord, probably, man. You probably had a, probably a six then. No, I'd say a little higher. Yeah, I was going to sure. say an eight. I was going to say an eight. Yeah. Yeah, I would that, say an eight. What do you I, attribute I that to? Uh, I I really do... I don't know if I've updated you. I think I did. I think I said this on a recent podcast, so I'll just make it quick. My psycholo- my psychologist, his job is for sure to just go into it saying, okay, I, I can fix this behaviorally, cognitive, ther- 
therapeutic wise. I I can do this because that's his job. He's got to go into it with that mentality. But I do think that he's learned over the course of the last three or four meetings. Okay, there's definitely a chemical ordeal that he's experiencing that he can't really do something with cog- cognitive with cognitive behavior therapy. So, in other words, yes, the therapy is going to help, but yes, he probably needs medicine also. So, I would say that it's attributed to my chemicals are balanced and sure people call bs on that that's fine but i know what it feels like when my thoughts are out of whack so i do feel like i'm not obsessing about anything um i, I i'm not really uh worrying about anything and I, what i tell priscilla is when i'm chemically balanced i'm i'm legit man like i think i'm fun <laughs> to be around <laughs> like <laughs> i really i really don't worry about stuff like i have a good perspective like so as soon as so maybe, as soon as you don't have depression, be, you have a giant ego. Yeah, not depressed. Yeah. Joey is uh, egomaniac. Yeah, just cra- I'm yeah. the coolest guy to be around. Arrogant. Maybe Either I depressed maybe or I arrogant am is one the choices. Of, yeah, maybe I'm struck down with depression because God can't allow me to be so cool. <laughs> He's got to do something <laughs> like Tower of Babel, man. <laughs> God that, can't man. allow like Joey that. to be so cool. It's just something God's got to go Tower of Babel cool, me. I like that. Well, I appreciate See, that, and I, I do care about it. And and the on, on the whole emotion thing, I do have to say I really, really appreciate the amount of people that have uh, reached out to me and said stuff from a couple of weeks ago when when I talked about losing our baby. That was a big deal, and like uh, I get it's crazy because it's almost to the point of I wouldn't say it's annoying, but it's like now it's like. I get a, I'm getting a lot of emails and yeah. phone calls and texts and stuff like that. Man, annoying's totally not the word for it. I really appreciate it, but it's it's a, it's a lot. Like think about how how this podcast amplifies that situation. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And I think there was something in the tone of the way that I said it that that made it feel like you should acknowledge it. Therefore, I think everybody that I see now thinks I have to acknowledge it. Even more so because right. I talked about that you should talk about it, and so I don't I like. There's nobody that's listening to the podcast. I don't think that hasn't acknowledged it directly to me every when they see me. Yeah, like the, Logan the, last night, I yeah. saw Logan last night, and he went to the side immediately. Say, "Hey, man, I'm sorry about like all that stuff." <laughs> the, the funniest. But I really appreciate that. All that stuff. Yeah, that's what, everybody says it different. Yeah. Most people are still scared to say. Right. Like they don't want to say, "I'm sorry, you lost your baby." Right. They want to say, or, or they think they're going to say, and then they they get really uncomfortable, or whatever. But I yeah. totally appreciate. It. I don't. And like yeah, I said, it doesn't I bother agree. me at all. The, and thank you to everybody. I really. It's been it's been awesome. The most interesting thing that happened was that I was uh, riding on the plane to uh, the tour that we're on right now. We're on the the tour with Emory right now and uh it was funny Dave and I met up in San Francisco to fly to Hawaii for the first show and then we flew back to and I was like oh well I, I said Dave we were talking for a long time I was like well you know Matt and Bridget lost their baby you, you obviously you heard the podcast and he was like nope no <laughs> so <laughs> it was really awkward because not only were we talking about Matt's situation and how bad it was, but also realized that a great friend of mine doesn't give a shit about this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I do feel bad on that because I didn't call Dave, but that's what I've been going through is trying to think of, like, who do I need to directly tell and what responsibilities on me? And it is crazy now that I've said on the podcast, people are like, oh, I appreciate that you did that. And some people ask me, why would you do that on the sh- Not why would you do that on the show, but, like, was that iffy? Do you think you should have done that or not? You know, kind of thing. And I just like, yeah. honestly, there was zero w- 
possibility chance I wouldn't. Yeah. And, and like, and if it had my wife said, "I do not want you to do that, no matter what," that would have been to me. I would have felt awful. Like I would have felt yeah. stupid if I wasn't allowed to. It wasn't like I felt like I had to. Or did you talk to Bridget good... about it all, or she didn't care? You don't. No, I, I asked her. I said, "Is this okay?" She yeah. said, "Totally." I mean, yeah. she she totally got it. But I didn't. I don't understand. Like for me, it was it was like, oh, there's no way I cannot share and talk about. It. That's the thing I feel compelled to do. And I'm so glad that that works out in line with what we do. Like, I guess it makes me feel good about the show. Like, yeah. the show isn't about material. The show isn't about whatever. It makes me feel like, oh, the show really is about us being known and communicating and, and doing that kind of stuff. So yeah. if anybody wants to know, I, it was a really easy no-brainer. I wanted to talk about it on here. And it wasn't for the sake of yeah. making a good show. It was just... It felt like... I, I guess I felt that like the show is really awesome because it. I was like... I. I got to talk about this on the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you, yeah. You, you guys think there's a certain level of freedom, more freedom that you have now because of this podcast? So much. So much. But that's what I'm saying. It makes weird situations. Like, I forget, I hadn't told Dave yet, but I told the whole internet and whatever. So The only thing I think is yeah. that... Well, that, it's, that it's go even, ahead, John. It's even as practical as... I mean, this is just hilarious. Like, there's a couple over at our house last night and... What's their full um, names? <laughs> well, we actually are helping them through some. No, seriously, uh, what's their full fucking names? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm seriously sitting at the uh, the dinner table. We had just eaten dinner, and I feel like I just have to mention the podcast, or else he's he's probably going to make fun. But I was just like, hey. Do you mind if we just head in the living room? I was like, I know you listen to the podcast, so you probably know my back hurts like hell right now, and I really want to go in the other room. And then he starts talking about how shitty my body is and how God smoked <laughs> me with the body. <laughs> so, so it's just like all. I mean, anybody we even hang out with that listens to the podcast, I mean, there's there's no secrets, man. I mean, it's it's like it's because here's the thing: is you you two are the guys that I'm going to tell the most stuff uh too besides my wife so it's like all of my other friends and and folks that maybe i'm not as close to uh with you know you guys and you know all levels of friendships i mean acquaintances all the way to people that i know really well and consider friends they they know everything that's going on in my life because i'm it, sharing it, it with it's really is funny to think about like how shitty your body is and <laughs> to think like like you were just talking about going to a psychologist and all this stuff but like you have to go to so many doctors like do you wish you could like double up like while you were getting a chiropractic or massage you also could talk to your psychologist <laughs> <laughs> is there a way to double up that would be a great invention like for people like joey like four or five doctors at the same, or at specialists. least a massage and a cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy at the same time would be really good. And then you're already on that table, so the Cairo could just come in and do the drop, do the drop right yeah. on you in yeah. the same on the same table. So yeah. So uh, I honestly, I really feel at this point with the psychologist, I think he's kind of given me a pretty good foundation, a couple of really good books that talks about a lot of cognitive behavior therapy. Like I, I kind of think he's. If I, I'll probably go back a handful of times, but I kind of feel like, okay, he's, he sent me off well. Like there's things that I can start doing differently. Well, that's so bad business. I don't, even, I don't really, I don't feel so dependent on him. Well, that's the weird thing um, about the hey, psychologist. Let, let do, it's bad business for them. To, it's bad business for them to me, cure people. 
So that's yeah, but not if you're not if you're in it for the right reasons. So let me. Uh, There's a I lot of evil psychologists according to Joey Spencer. <laughs> like, well, I feel really good, Doc. Well, you probably still have yeah. some stuff to work out. Uh, might, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I know you made a lot of progress. Tell me more but, about the second grade. But how about your mother? Let's, <laughs> you know, I know you're doing good on this, but speaking of depression and uh, all that stuff, the abandoned Kansas album is seriously one of the most emotionally moving albums I've heard in a really? while. Just well, just from the well, standpoint of having, well, having interviewed him and him saying how dark of a place he was at when writing that album, I, it it really is mind boggling just how that came out. And like the first song where he's yelling or actually screaming at God yeah. and questioning God, and then there's a, I mean, Priscilla and I both were very moved and even chuckled uh, at one of the songs where he's moved by thinking about his kids and he actually starts crying and then it's just funny because no he that's actually, his, he's like, sung to his it. dad there right uh well he mentioned his kids when he started crying Said i think he's I th- yeah that yeah i think that was about his dad and his relationship with him and so i think gotcha. maybe he's the kid and i'm not exactly sure how but yeah gotcha. i, I no, totally no, no. agree with that either either way i just uh, it's a it's a thing of beauty when he's actually recording a song and he cries for yeah. real i mean it's just it's the, from start to finish i it's really neat man it's um cool let's, let's I, I wasn't i wasn't expecting to be that blown away you know? yeah well i'm glad of that and the album's doing well and i appreciate it. I, I have a, something to share about that too but let's take a second here and do a spot for our sponsor that is has been so absolutely great to us and that's x3 watch x3 watch is i mean it like what I really am thankful for is they were our first and they're our longest and most consistent sponsor. And the best part yeah, about totally. that being that they uh, it's something that we care about, something that we talk about naturally, and something that we use. So to me, when I listen to podcasts and the podcasters believe in the product, that really goes a long way. So I know I'm self-saying that, but I, we really do believe in the product. X3 Watch has been so long that I know everybody knows what it is. It's accountability software that monitors your online behavior and the stuff that you see and sends emails to other people. It blocks websites and it does whatever it can do on the computer to make you not be alone when you're on your computer or mobile device across iPad, whatever it is. And uh, it's been it's been really good for us. And we've had so many positive comments of people that have gotten it. And I want to thank everybody that has supported X3 Watch and that believes in a accountability and so as liberal as we come across or as crazy as we are as much sin as people think we like to condone that's been one thing that's been really easy for us is porno equals bad we don't like it we think it stinks we think it's destructive and uh we we appreciate that technology that that helps us avoid that and highly recommend it to you guys so if you go to x3watch.com forward slash bad christian you can get that software the same software that joey and toby and i use and we highly recommend it again that's x3watch.com forward slash bad christian that's really good, man. I was I was wanting to add some to that. Don't need ad, to. But I don't need to. You I nailed it. it. Well, I mean, now you have an ego, and it's kind of pissing me off. So I kind of okay. want to add. You got to let me finish though, because I want to talk about a man in Kansas too. I just wanted to get that in there. Okay. So here's what is uh, here's what's crazy. This is going to be fun, I think, for me. But we got a, there was a review. The, they got a bunch of album reviews. Our publicist yeah. has been working hard on it, and they're all really good. And they say the same stuff that Joey says that the. Yeah. Uh, um, 
that is so honest, is real, it's brutal. Yeah. He talked about this stuff. Now we did get, and I don't even care if this is bad or not, but I think with with, with critics. They're the ones that get to criticize, you know? Yeah. So I want to turn the tables just a little bit. And sure. We can do a little bit of criticism of a critic. Is that okay? I love this and, idea. And this is all conjecture on my part. Read this person's stuff. I, I don't have, I'm going to speak from memory. I don't have this written down or anything, but Joey bringing it up made me think of it. Uh, Abandoned Kansas shared a negative review they got. It was from com. Okay. Now, that's a real site. They review our stuff. They do all kind of good stuff. Right. They're great. But they reviewed this album negatively. And what they said was that, like, a bunch of the stuff that he said was like played out, trite, and kind of a cliche, uh, you know, oh, a band disillusioned or whatever kind of right. thing or something. But it's their opinion. But. It's their opinion. That's totally fine. But if they can say that, I'm going to say my opinion back. Uh-huh. And I feel like maybe that's a conservative Christian thing. And what Jer- there's a bunch of lyrics on here like there's a lyric about the shepherd molesting the sheep. You know, it's like I feel right. like they might have some stake tied up in trying to – to not endorse an album that is critical of the church and Christianity in general for a site like .com. I'm not trying to slam them because I appreciate them, but I think that's kind of interesting because here's what I don't think is – here's what I do think is original about Abandoned Kansas. What Christian band writes against – Christian establishment. That is not a played out premise. It's like the least possible played out premise in all of anything, as far as I'm concerned. So I find the album really brave in that sense. And so I thought that was really interesting and almost like cool that it, that somebody would review it that way and maybe like may, maybe I'm just reading too much into it but maybe I'm thinking they have to protect their conservativeness of their tone or whatever. So we oh, got yeah. a, there's a ton of good reviews too and I'm not, not even knocking that website but I wonder do you think they if they en- felt like if they endorsed an album that was on that level would that be would that make like? Do they feel like they had to protect their conservative nature or something? I, well, I don't th- know if I they. Think so. I, I don't. I actually don't think that was their intent to keep their fan base, but I intentionally. But I think maybe even subconsciously, there's a little bit of something there because I mean, their name is. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe these guys. Maybe are bad. I'd love to do, talk but, to whoever wrote that review. And, and, or whatever, and once again, but. it is their just. A, it's just their opinion. But I, I think you make a great point of that. That's not. Cliche. I don't think it is to to make fun of the Christian establishment is not cliche, but I do I do think it sounds like a defensive critique. You know what I mean? Like it's not like a oh I don't like this. It sounds like oh we're we're uh oh they're saying something about this, so I need to defend yeah this as opposed to I just don't like the music or the lyrics are cheesy or whatever. They didn't say that. You know what I mean? So that 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 shows me it's more of a defense as opposed to I'm just going to say what I think. Joey, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you, Matt. There's so many people that want to say, man, why do we have to be so negative about the church? Why do we have to talk against the church and all that stuff? Well, it's because real people have been really hurt by the church. And so why can't we as a church also say, yeah, we need to own that and we need to really put some thought into that. We need to understand that and we need Not to... Not discount it, yeah. Exactly. Give people a real platform to say, okay, tell us, like, what... How were you hurt? What you know? Yeah. Because if you were secure in whatever it is, you would openly welcome criticism. And yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a good point, Toby. How do you take the negative criticism? Do you like what do you really think about critics? Like, do you really dis? Do you think it's not fair that they get to do that, or do you respect their art form and medium as critics? Like, they have to be able to say negative stuff. Okay. Right? First of all, I want to clarify: this is not about. 
no, no, what just, I'm about I'm to say. So the, uh, we we work with them a ton, and they're they're a legitimate sure, completely uh, website. Okay, so that's very just, professional of you. This is just no, about this is just about critics in general. Here's the thing: these are people that are cre- making creation only because somebody else created something. So just at the the basis. Wait, explain of the, that. The basic, explain that. The basic thought is. If, for example, the band Emory, which I'm in, makes a record, I created something that gave them an opportunity to create something. Otherwise, okay. they would have nothing. So just that fact alone, that I created something that I put my heart and soul into and I really care about, that also created a job for that person. So on a certain yeah. level, how can you ever be that critical of it or... At, at, at the same time, you, why why would they get so defensive that when they when you when you push back and say, "Well, it's just my job. I critique records or whatever." Yeah. Well, all you're doing is m- what what I gave you. I gave yeah. you something to do. Yeah. But so, but on the other side, there is a really awful thing in uh, websites and journalism where all like put it this way: if you if there was a magazine you read. And all the reviews were five star. You would know that was bullshit, though. Right. Right. So right. you would know they were yeah, getting paid, or they were just overly nice, or whatever right. it would be. So you, I mean, is it a legitimate art form for somebody to be an influencer or have opinions about media and art? Yes, it is. But they are specifically getting paid and doing a job because of what other yeah. people are are so bearing you, their you're souls. happy with it as long as they acknowledge the supremacy of what you do over what they do no I, that, that's not the case no, no that's not the case but they are not going into a room and bearing their soul and creating something sure okay so so if you're a writer or author or whatever maybe the, that's what these people want to do but you know what I mean like give give everybody something else that's not based on uh, what somebody else did. Matt McDonald posted something on their Facebook recently, and he said it was just kind of more joking. People took it real seriously. But he said, if you're going to criticize, he was talking about our videos that we put out sure. that people criticize. He said, you got to, if you want to criticize an artist's art, then you also need to upload an MP3 of your shit. That's right. not that wasn't his direct post, <laughs> sure, yeah. but it was something along the lines of that. And then people got you know irritated about about that. But in some way, right? Like yeah. it's not it's not con- congruent for somebody to. You know, it's just too easy for somebody to say something's bad. No, I, no let me mail. let me wrap this up. I, I totally agree with that. I hope it's good that we got a, they got a lot of press here, so it should be good for them overall. Sure, yeah. Good, so good for them. They're a good site. Now this um, isn't even against them. Now we'll move on. We've got to get our guest today. We have Mike Mowry. He's an awesome guy. He's a friend of ours and a manager. But I do want to say one more critic story. When the week's end came out, we were so excited about it. It was the first time we'd ever been reviewed, this and that, or whatever. And this was the review that we got in <laughs> AP Magazine, which was the biggest thing in the world at the time. And we waited to get it at a magazine stand just just to just to hear what the review was. We didn't know before before it came out what it was, so we got it in print. We get it. It's like two, I think it's out of five stars. It was two or two and a half stars. And the headline was, Curious What's Going On in Seattle? Don't don't be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with Mike Mowry after this break. This is Mike Mowry, and I've known the Emory Boys since they wore different outfits every day on Warp Tour in 2006. They started Bad Christian last year, and I started Outer Loop Records at that same time. I love developing bands, and you're about to hear Far Away by Chasing Safety. You're far away.
themselves far away by chasing safety. To hear more from them and artists like Ice Nine Kills, Youth and Revolt, Brightwell, and Jason Lancaster, please visit www.outerlooprecords.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Support independent music. Hey, Bad Christian Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Lyman, founder of the Vans Warp Tour. I'm here with Mike Mowry from Outer Loop Management. We want to talk to you about my new online music education company, The Entertainment Institute. I've been a longtime supporter of Emory, and it's amazing to see all that they've accomplished with the record label, podcast, blog, and all things Bad Christian. They have embraced the power of artists in today's ever-changing music industry and have found a way to thrive without the financial support of a major label. Yeah, Kevin, from a manager's perspective, this aligns with many of the things I've done with my established artists. There are more ways than ever before for the artist to take ownership of their business, the most important being education. I've been in this industry for a long time, but I learn new things every day. I've watched many former Warped Tour artists go on to do some amazing things. From Fall Out Boy, Sublime, No Doubt, Katy Perry, Eminem, on and on and on. I've always been an adamant supporter of artist education, and now I'm able to offer them something more than just a quick jaunt through the Vans Warped Tour's School of Hard Knocks. The Entertainment Institute is the education initiative I started alongside a few other industry professionals. Jen Kellogg, our tour manager, Dave Shapiro, Mike Mowry. You'll see a long list of people involved with the Entertainment Institute, including people like Buddy Nielsen, a lot of artists out there this summer. It'd be great. Kevin, do you think Toby and Matt from Emory would make good gurus? Provided they don't talk with those silly accents and people can understand them. Yes. <laughs> Toby, do you think it's our accents that actually are the barrier for people to understand what we're saying? I'm going to take a cue from Mike, how he reads ads. Matt Carter, I don't know if our accents are bad, but I want to speak like Mike Mowry. (laughs) Sorry, Mike. You sound a little bit like a robot. Luckily, you're not a professional ad reader, but a kick-ass teacher and music industry professional. You guys should check out the Entertainment Institute. So go to thinktei.com today. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Wow. All right, Toby, on top of that. It's a big Christian podcast. What do you guys think? Am I hired? That was really good, Mike. Wow. That was really good, man. I'll tell you oh what I'm gosh. already blown away by is normally when we hang out with Mike, it's uh it's usually ten, eleven at night in a bar after a show. But I didn't know I didn't know you got wasted at party first thing in the morning at the office. You know I, I, I'm surprised about that. I think one of my favorite things about my office is that the uh the walls are actually a little thin, and so even though I have my door closed, everybody can hear everything that I'm saying. So when I walk out of here, they're all going to be looking at me like I'm a crazy person. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I've been listening to the podcast pretty regularly, and when we were going to do the last uh, interview before it got rescheduled, I had listened to the episode just prior. Um, you know, the one that had just come out right before we were going to do the interview. And it's when you were talking to, I think it's like the old drummer uh, from Emory. And you guys were talking about drinking and driving. Oh, yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, my God, are these guys this freaking stupid that they're going to go on record and talk about how that they think drinking and driving is cool? Well, see, that's just the thing. That's just the thing. Is it stupider to drink and drive or to talk? You said it's stupid to talk about it. But it wouldn't be stupider to do it. All we're doing is talking about it. That's the way we look at it. 
All right. Uh, I, I understand what you're getting at there. That's exactly um, the point. I'm glad that that was that point was was made. Or we're against there. drunk driving for sure. But you're not having right. one tall boy on your way. But home. But a tall boy on the way home <laughs> sounds almost like heaven to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do Pretty it. Amazing. I don't do <laughs> right. So, so Mike, I don't Mike, do it. And, yeah, go ahead. Um, just to let everybody know who Mike is and why we're so comfortable around him, he's a buddy of ours. He, Mike, is a he's a manager, manages a bunch of bands, and has been worked on our the team of our management company that we had for a long time at Outer Loop Management. So every time we go to Baltimore or DC Towson. or something like that, Mike comes and hangs out. We've had just a, a tremendous time. Uh, being in business and hanging out with him over the years. So thought it'd be somebody fun. A lot of times what we get stuck in, Mike, if you listen to the podcast, you'll understand this. A lot of times we just get totally caught up talking about church stuff and micro-Christian culture stuff. So it's nice. People also care about music and music business and all the people you know and all the stories you have and stuff too. How do you listen to this podcast That since it's always weird, boring Christian stuff? Why is it that you listen to it though? How do you? How are you into this? Um, I honestly just listen to it for the accents. I got it. I got it. I mean, there is there is nothing better than listening to three guys that sound like they are, you know, from the backwoods of Nowheresville in the South that are, think okay, that they know so, just about anything about anything. It's, it's pretty amazing. Hey, so let me ask you this: is there a is there a distinction between me and those guys, or do you just hear it all is pretty much the same? Oh, I mean, Joey, you're the worst, bro. Are you I'm serious? Sorry. <laughs> no. Because, <laughs> see, um, here, here's the crazy thing is, is uh, I know I have an accent, but I don't hear it at all where I do hear Toby and Matt. So when people tease Toby and Matt, I'm just like, yeah, they do have a southern accent. When they tease me, I'm like, okay, I believe you. I don't hear it, though, at all. Yeah, yours is a little less. I sometimes feel like Toby and Matt, like, really play theirs up, you know? Like, <laughs> they so just cute, ham man. it up. Well, you know we're performers. <laughs> um but i think i started so i kind of got into like the whole podcast um trend if you will when that podcast serial came out yeah Um, oh so recently then yeah relatively recently and i'd done one or two you know i'd done like ray harkins um 100 words or less and but i hadn't really gotten in and started like religiously listening to them and then you know as you guys know in the music business Oftentimes, the really only downtime is kind of those couple weeks between, you know, right around Christmas and New Year's. And so I was just trying to check a bunch of them out. A friend of mine that I do a little bit of business with, he and I had kind of bonded over the serial one. And then, um, you know, we're trading some of the other ones. But I really, you know, I really enjoyed listening to like the one with Brandon Ebel, for instance. Yep, and, yeah. You know, Joey, it was so fascinating that you know all of this stuff about that label. And, you know, like my perspective, I mean, I'm really good friends with Jason Hammaker from Frodus, but, yeah. you know, as the like little atheist punk kid back in the 90s, you know, Tooth and Nail was kind of the enemy. And, <laughs> you know, as I've transitioned into a role within the business, um, you know, it's actually kind of fascinating to go back and look at you know, this time and this place where I was there for it, but I wasn't really ascribing to it and paying as much attention um, as I would have had I kind of had the business glasses or goggles, you know, that I wear (laughs) currently. So, um, you know, and I just think you guys do a really good job of bringing on interesting people. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, And, 
I don't, did you, did Nick tell you, I mean, yeah, Matt, you were aware of like how this whole conversation even came about. Right. When, when, when you got introduced to Nick and y'all had a big falling out instantly. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm yeah, the one t- who actually brought it all together. I yeah, hope let, you know that. <laughs> let's tell that story. Yeah, I, but- Toby and Joey don't know the story, but so we, uh, the classic crime is on tour now. I don't know when this interview comes out, but the classic crime is going on tour, and they had one of Mike's bands that was going to be their opener, and they didn't have everything. It was you know getting kind of close to time, and then Hearts Like Lions, they wanted to have them go on the tour too, and I don't remember what the ins and outs were of it, but it was confirmed, but had just been confirmed, and then I think they decided maybe they would have rather had Hearts Like Lions or something else worked out good or something, so they were trying to decide if they could fit two bands or not, Yeah. and then, they wound, then uh, Nick texted me and said, um, yeah, you know, we're thinking about making it because it doesn't matter that much to me. But Nick said we're thinking about making a change on, uh, you know, the, the the lineup here. And I was like, yeah, I mean, do what you got to do, make the best decision. And so then he uh, he's okay. And then a few minutes later, I got an email from Mike Mowry <laughs> saying this is completely unacceptable. I've known Matt and Toby for a long time, and there's no way they would do business like this. This is horrible. This is an outrage. This is not happening, because what they've done is, is decided to not take Mike's band yeah. and then take Hearts Like Lions instead, I guess, temporarily. And I was like, oh, shit. I, didn't, I had no idea the band they were talking about was Mike Mowry's band. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, Nick. And I, I was like, because, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I have no idea why. It, it, it really shouldn't have. It's just a classic crime, and Bundo's tour managing them. So... So I called Bunda immediately. I was like, Bunda, sorry if I gave you bad advice before, but you got to fix this. This is Mike's band. I'm sorry, but you, you got to go, listen to what he says and whatever. And then I was like, this sucks. I mean, this looks bad for us and everything. And um, Bunda called me back and said, hey, I've been talking to Mike. He's awesome. We got to get him on the podcast. So I imagine it worked out. But how did that go from your end? Yeah, um, and it's pretty funny because had I not been listening to the podcast, I probably would not have really known what you guys were up to and – wouldn't have known, you know, I think Bunda sent it from like a bad Christian email address. Oh, I see. So I'm all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, I know who <laughs> these guys are. And it's been kind of interesting because the band in question is an artist that, you know, is they're from Baltimore. They've been around for quite some time. We work with them, and as my company's kind of ebbed and flowed with certain people who work here, there's been different people that have been assigned to it, but I have always kind of kept them under our umbrella um, because I like them and think that, you know, over time they're, they're actually going to, you know, they're incredibly talented guys. And so their booking agent was one dealing, you know, predominantly with, I, I guess, either Bunda or somebody else within the camp. And I, you know, I hadn't heard like any of the requests that were being made. And, you know, I think what it ended up happening was, you know, they had start, they had kind of approached it where they came to us and said, "Hey, we'll put this band on the tour, provided they share their backline." And you know what transpired was they had actually looked for a setup similar to what you guys have done with many openers, which was you know they wanted them to tech for them and do all of this stuff. But I don't I don't think it was made exactly clear, and I can understand. You know, if you've been in that position where, you know, you're the one responsible for teching and doing all of that, I mean, that's a pretty interesting model. And I actually commend you guys for doing it. I think it's been a very cool way that you've been able to, A, bring out younger bands and B, save some money. Um, but, you know, I don't think that was like every last bit of that was, you know, 
re- relayed to to the band. And so there was just some details that got lost in translation. And, you know, I mean, as a manager, especially at this stage where I'm trying to really, you know, paint the broad strokes for, for artists, you know, I had a young guy who's an agent for my band and, you know, Bunda who were kind of like arguing over essentially, you know, kind of the, the stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, I guess it does matter, but I just came in and said, you know, look, let's step, let's take two steps back. It doesn't matter who sent what email on what day and who didn't do whatever each respective person is saying they didn't do. It's like, we agreed that the band would be on the tour. Let's figure out how to keep them on the tour. Now, Mike, one, one thing that's interesting about that though, is like, just since having known you, like Scott, Scott that worked for outer loop was our, was our manager. And, uh, you know, he that was our link to meeting you even, I think, if, if I remember correctly. But I remember even him just talking, man, he said that, you know, Mike is just fiery, a spitfire. He'll say anything, never back down from a fight. Have you just always been like that? Like, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, you don't you don't just sugarcoat things. Like, you immediately wrote an email back like, this ain't going to fucking happen. This, you know, like that. Like, and ever since we've known you, I mean, you take it to the limit. Like, if we're hanging out, at, at partying after a show, you're the, the wildest man in the room throwing plates, whatever it might be, <laughs> at restaurants. I mean, yeah, whatever. Has it always been that way? You always been just a wild man? I, I mean, I'd like to downplay it a little bit. I mean, the wild man <laughs> category, if we're, if we're, you know, part of my reason for coming and doing these things is so hopefully I can educate some people about my company and, you know, what I think that we're capable of doing. And, you know, I have sort of, I mean, I, I like that component to my personality. It, it, you know, some people like you guys seem to enjoy it. You might not love it when, when the plate hits you in the forehead, but, you know, when the silverware is flying across the table, you might not, you know, love it exactly, but you at least remember it the next day. Um, you know, but I think in, in, in that instance, I actually, you know, uh, sure, I mean, I said it was unacceptable pretty quickly, but in terms of, like, how I then negotiated everything that was going on, I'm not the one that's you know, throwing fireballs, um, Mm -hmm. at that point, I'm actually, you know, I've sort of learned what works and what doesn't in regards to, you know, trying to find, you know, the best solution for things within the business. Yeah. I think it's crazy because people don't even understand how all that works. Like this is a tour manager, a label representative, me, a band, and then their manager, and this all was going through booking agents. So do you know how stupid that is and how easy it is for stuff to get messed up and people to – oh, it's just a mess. Like I, I just – I don't even – I can't ever figure out the best way to communicate. Should it be band to band? And then the band dude calls the band dude, and they say, oh, yeah, totally. And then other people fight about stuff, and it just gets so petty. But, you know, and there's always somebody you feel like maybe not holding up their end, if it's, whether it's this person's dropping the ball or not paying attention. Yeah, it's, it's just a nightmare world. So, and that's what I can't believe is that's your whole world. You're just you're a band manager, so it's that's literally your job description is sorting through all of the worst possible things about the music business. Is that is that what you do? Uh, that's uh, one depiction of it, you know. But I mean, really, you know, and one of the and and you you know there is that component of it, and that's just part of something that you know managers have to accept. And we try to you know downplay it and get in the way of it it's funny right before we did this call I, I was on the phone with another artist who I've been helping with a lot of um, you know personal issues that he's been going through and you know he consistently goes to social media and posts some things that I see and 
I'm just like, dude, if you would just send me a text of what you're about to post prior to posting it, you know, we, we would avoid all of this. Because I'm going to see been, it anyways. How long have you been managing Justin Bieber? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, picked, I picked him up last night. So. <laughs> so do you think that that's right, that an artist should go through, uh, have like a, like not a buffer. post directly? They should have a buffer. Like somebody should approve just because of the potential d- Well, I mean, not all artists, post. but, you know, I think more than ever, the the um, tools for promotion are in the hands of, you know, the artist and or the artist representatives. And, you know, most managers, uh, most effective managers are trying to figure out how to essentially control like the brand that is the band. You know, if you're trying to do this professionally um, in whatever capacity, you know, that's how we start to look at it. Like, you know, the, the, the band itself is a brand and how do we want to manage what the message for, um, you know, that brand is. You guys, as the musicians, you know, really, you, you, I mean, I, I want to be careful with what I say because there are plenty of artists that we work with who, you know, don't have any issues. They post things just fine, and they do a very good job of utilizing the tools that are in their hands to, you know, promote themselves. But, you know, there are exceptions to every rule, and, you know, even – even ourselves, like people within my company or even myself, you know, at times you, you want to post something, um, but I usually try to think about it and maybe even pass it along to somebody internally, like, hey, should yeah. I post this or should I just, you know, delete it and not worry about it? That's true. Give us a list real quick of the artists you work with to give well, some Matt, context. Matt, before, I think a lot of people will like them. Matt, before that, let me, let me ask you this. You've always said that to be a tour manager... Uh, you have to be an asshole. Right. So, does that fit this situation here well, with this now, guy? Well, now Mike's a manager, not a tour manager. So, to be a tour manager, you have to be an asshole. To be a manager, you you don't have to be an asshole. You just have to be sleazy. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's different. It's different personality traits. And so, and to 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 really you know bring it all together, Joey, I was a tour manager. That oh, okay. was that was an asshole that figured out how to be sleazy after I met the Emory guys, and uh, <laughs> we made so much money because of you. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. here's I what's mean, crazy is is me getting to know Nick, and I really like Nick, but I see how he handles himself, and it really is kind of a, a it's, it's the aggressiveness that he has to take. Um, when I think of Mike and Nick talking to each other, it's almost like I think of two pissed off cats that maybe can't just get. You along. could have said pit bulls. No, no, I <laughs> well, that'd have been bad. I, I think it's real. It's just being direct. Is what what tour manager is, right. is. It doesn't matter if somebody likes me or not. My job and what I have to get done is important. And you have to be. It's not really asshole, but it is a personality type. It's almost sacrificial to a degree where you sacrifice yourself to get your job done. It's a well, really it's, admirable quality, yeah. it, but it's a, it, it turns. Turns out this way, man. Emery, those guys are so awesome, but their tour manager—he's a dick. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. That's well, that's and, the common, and they're willing to do that to get it done. But you guess what? When the tour manager tells you something you don't like, it really is Toby saying that. It's just coming through him. <laughs> that's that's the way it really works. That's the, kind of the job. And Matt, <laughs> not me. I'm, not me. It it really. I mean, all joking aside, it really is an admirable trait. Like I, I've told people that as far as confrontation, I. I don't feel like I, uh, I I don't avoid it when it needs to be done. I do it, but in the in the day to day interactions, like I really admire someone. Matt, I think you you have it too. Toby definitely way more than me, but just just the 
like Matt, you would have no problem with saying, uh, yeah, your, your internet is really crappy right now. Let's uh, figure this out or something. To me, I'd just be like, oh, I don't want to tell someone their internet's crappy. I know that sounds crazy, <laughs> but just. Yeah. Uh, Joey, have you considered seeing a psychiatrist? <laughs> I, I see one. Joey see, Joey's a pastor and he sees a psychiatrist <laughs> already. So, yeah, he's clearly in the in the camp there of of a nice guy or, I mean, I don't know, maybe people please but I think whatever, there's but. A, but I think there's an important distinction um, between the two, and that's um, – hold on one second. What's up? What in the hell's going on, Mike? Mike from Darkest <laughs> Hour is just freaking, you know, crashing the party. He's coming to collect. He's coming to pay, actually, like a good <laughs> like a good artist. He's walking in and handing over boatloads of cash that he earned, and all I did was sit here in my office with my feet up talking on a podcast. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, no, I mean, I do think it's an important <laughs> distinction, and this is one that I've I've had to learn as a manager. And it was different as a tour manager. A tour manager, you could kind of be very direct and almost get off, get by with being an asshole because, you know, by and large, you're not going to see the person again. Or if you are going to see them again, it's going to be a while. Um, but in the managerial role where, you know, you also need to be effective and figure out how to get people to want to That's do true. things for you. And, um, you know, sometimes that requires being very direct, but you can't go about it in like a malicious and like vindictive way. You can't be mean for the sake of being mean. That's going to get you absolutely nowhere. So um, for sure. Let me ask. Let me ask this about your kind, guys, because I'm <laughs> lumping all y'all together. But uh, so, do you think someone that is is extremely direct and extreme and and uh, again, I look up to these traits, confrontational, kind of aggressive with it. Can you guys discern when? Okay, I need to be confrontational, but I've got to be sensitive with this one because. Again, I don't mind confronting people with stuff, but I feel because that's not my immediate response that maybe I have a little more sensitivity when the situation uh, warrants it. Or don't flatter yourself, Joey. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> but Get but Mike, you're just a pushover. No, yeah. but but Mike, would you say um, would would you say that you find yourself in situations where you're just like, ah, I got to be a little more sensitive with this one and not yeah. to manipulate, but because you care about that person. No, completely. And you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, again, coming back to my day job, which is being a manager you know, you have to deal with all types of different people. I'm dealing with the business side of people who yeah. are, you know, not all of them are direct and, um, confrontational, but Many of them, you know, understand the the terms of the business and it's not getting their feelings hurt. And then I got to turn around and talk to artists and not all artists are, you know, sensitive, uh, but some of them are more sensitive and you have to approach dealing with them in a, in a little bit of a, a different, more mm-hmm. like empathetic way. It's um, strategic still. Yeah, basically, because I mean, think about it. if you have those those artists that are really needy, which is constitutes sixty to eighty percent, I would say, then all you have to do is be act sensitive and stroke their ego and babysit <laughs> them in a way they feel good, and then you can do whatever you want. Now, the other on the other hand, you have people like me and Toby who are very easy, and you don't have to do that whatsoever. You just tell the truth, but we're probably pretty specific about what we like and need and want. Therefore, that type of action is needed. Well, I think too, like even when we worked, you know, with our managers, even like Scott, who I still consider a great friend, I think he 
his, his I don't know if he actually enjoyed managing. Like I don't think he really liked it. And I think Mike, you probably like it a little bit because you're controlling things, you're doing things, you don't mind stepping into the fray. But like some people just aren't cut out for it because they don't that it like the the truth is. Mike is all, is looking out for his bands. He he wants to make them happy way more than anybody else. And, and if if they are happy, things usually end up working out better anyway. Just like what Matt said. So I think some people are just cut out for it, just to to be a little bit of a, a pit bull. And but at the same time, just like I mean, Mike's smart enough to realize, oh wait, that says badchristian.com. That's these guys. The way I can do this, this, and this. Now. Like he's right. you know what I mean. Like Mike, you're you're obviously pretty quick on how you read people probably pretty well and realize the situation. Pretty pretty quickly to know what type of uh, red level or green level you need to go to, right? Yeah, I mean, look, guys, I understand that you want me to manage you guys, but now's <laughs> not the time to pitch that, Toby. I'm, I mean, I apologize. We have a threshold here, okay? Like, there's, there's one simple reason that you don't never wound up being our manager, Mike, and that's because we don't pay anybody. <laughs> that's, it's, not, it's not that we wouldn't wish you we had We would you. love We're that, just not actually. Pay you. Right. It's the whole money I mean, it's really, it's really great that you guys have determined that you know the most important role within a band is, is worth absolutely nothing. The value just doesn't exist. Well, how about that? Have you been fired? I want to talk about that because, I, you know, just if we're getting into this kind of stuff, I've fired. I, I'm For some reason, I'm the one that has to do that, Joey. I don't know if you ever have to fire people being a pastor. Uh, but I, fired I have. Does, I have. A dozen see, not, people. Uh, see, uh, see. Dude, I believe I fired a manager as well, if you don't remember yeah, well, that. that. That's yeah. what I want to talk oh, about. So Matt, like we fired Matt's every manager guy, we've Toby ever had. Joey, no. No, Scott quit. No, Scott quit. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We've had two managers quit. Yeah, we had. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I want to I want to pause for a second, Matt. You don't think people in the church get fired? I really am so curious. I'm asking you. I'm just what I'm saying. Like I, I know I've had to deal with it a, a ton amount. It feels like a lot whenever I have to let somebody. That's go. just really crazy. No, I'm not saying you haven't. I'm not asking. I'm saying I mean you only have a small staff, and I don't know if it changes a lot. So yes, I have. I, that's what I'm saying. I'm interested to hear that. But what I'm trying to get at is I want to hear from somebody who must have been fired by bands before how that goes because I could tell all the stories of. I had to let somebody go, and they were terrible, or they were getting paid too much, or it was amicable, or it turned into a nightmare. But I mean, I fired. We like I said, we fired tons of managers. So I want, I would like to know from a manager's point of view, what's that like getting fired? I yeah, must, maybe I mean, you it, haven't ever been fired. I don't no, know. I mean, uh, I wish that weren't the case. Um, you know, and it's changed over the years. You know, if I look back, even on my brief management career, which is just at about eleven years now, like you know what I was doing when I first started, and what I'm doing now, I think are you know, I think I'm doing a much better job than I was doing then. That said, I still feel like I was doing a good job then. And I was trying, you know, my best and trying incredibly hard. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of bands that, that I see, either ones I work with or that other people work with is they have this illusion in their head that like, it's just about, I'm going to be with this right person and they're going to accelerate everything. Um, you know, it's just going to happen much quicker if I'm with, you know, manager A versus manager B. And what I've seen is by and large, you know, there are exceptions to every rule, but almost every band just takes time to develop. And any one of us that, you know, has lasted this long and has a company and has a career are pretty much going to do very similar things. It's not to say we're going to do the exact same things. And so, you know, most of the time, you know, when we end up parting ways with someone and whether that's, you know, we get fired or, you know, we tell them we don't want to work with them anymore is it, it does. It comes down to what value they ascribe to, 
you know, the work that we do. And that's the biggest challenge for a band. And most band members, um, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not faulting band members, um, just because they're band members. When I was in my twenties, I don't know if I could have grasped that a band was a small business which is essentially what it is. And after having run my own small business for the better part of a decade and run many, you know, multiple band businesses, like every small business has cash flow issues. And so, you know, if you just go in and you look, oh man, the manager gets X amount of dollars and therefore we need to fire them. That isn't to me like really a good solution to the problem. It's, you know, you've got to figure out a mature way of, as the owners of a business, which band members are, of how do we work with our team to ensure that, like, everyone can stay afloat. Does well, that let me sense? tell you one, one way that did happen. Maybe we were guilty of that, but I don't think so. But I'll give you an exact scenario. We one time fired some managers because they were, you know, they were making a, a good percentage of gross and so when they're getting paid on gross they're basically encouraging us to spend money on whatever because it doesn't matter how much money saved because they get paid the same so we did a tour and this is true I wish I, anything I could go back in time, but we at one point were selling a lot of tickets and we, we did a tour where we grossed a hundred and forty thousand um, dollars and we wrote them a check for like forty thousand dollars and I, the 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 amount we spent on the t- total tour, including the commissions and everything, was like hundred and twenty something thousand dollars. So yeah. we had a few no, no, thousand, no, no. two I, or three I, thousand each. And we, I, like, why do we get those lights that, that tell us to go? Why do we get that big bus? Why did, it right. didn't matter to them, and that was just unacceptable. So cash flow issue or whatever is like this can't be right. They get forty grand, and we each get twenty five hundred. Well, and can't can't be that way. Well, and, I, and I've heard you know you say that scenario before on the podcast. I can't remember which episode it was. Um, and, you know, I know who your managers were at that point. And, you know, as a guy who does commission, you know, typically off of the gross, especially on, you know, the guarantee side of things, um, you know, depending on where you were in your trajectory, you mm-hmm. know, they were trying to essentially make your brand into something that, you know, was a bit larger than maybe even it was. And yes, uh-huh. they were using your own funds. It's kind of like if you're in a small business and you need to go advertise, um, you know, to grow, you spend money on, you know, those advertisements and some of them work out and some of them don't. But I think the ultimate fallacy that many band members and just other, you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time dealing with this over the years is you, if you look at these tours like in a vacuum it really doesn't make a ton of sense to do you need to look at the totality of the business that you're doing within a year because what if you going out you having that magnificent show with those lights you name it and you play la and the buyer for hot topic comes and sees you and says man emery just blew me out of the water call their merch company and put in an order for 5,000 shirts and the gross amount on that is 30 grand or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so by spending 20 grand on lights, you just, you know, increased that component of your revenue streams. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, what are you doing to allow all of the C to kind of lift up at the same time? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I mean, maybe we were wrong in that time, but it just seemed like an endless cycle of you're always building, you're never getting paid kind of a thing. Yeah. And that, I mean, listen, that's the ultimate challenge. I mean, the business itself is very difficult 
especially on, you know, that, that level. Um, and, you know, up until recently, uh, I had one artist who I don't even work with any longer that they made enough money. There were six of them in the band, but each of them was making enough money to live off of that and that only, you know, mm-hmm. and for a company that manages 40 plus bands, like, yeah, that's, it's just the odds are completely stacked against you. But that's why in certain senses, you know, I've really enjoyed watching the other streams of revenue that are available to artists, um, you know, develop. Like I work with an artist called Periphery. They're all really, you know, technical uh, musicians. And each of them has, or many of them have gone to like teaching lessons while they're on tour. Yes, yeah. that's additional work, but like that's a you know without the tour and the band and all of the work that we do, you know, we take the band and, and help along with them to try and grow that brand. That encourages more people to come. That encourages more people to sign up for their individual lessons, and that allows them to actually make some money. You know, and it's without- direct. That's the best thing about that whole thing is it's direct. Like there's th- certain things you can do. And to tell you the honest truth, everybody, that's exactly our model here. What we're trying to do is make things that we can do direct with fans so that when fans either we give stuff away or whatever, and then if they can give us money or we can sell something, the money will just come to us. And that's just better. Even if it's smaller or different or whatever, that's kind of, that's what's great about if you teach lessons or give a podcast or people join the BC club or buy our VIP tickets. That's the idea. That way it doesn't go through. 90 channels that everybody takes you know their hand in even if it's a smaller amount but it's the people that are most connected to us and that's been the most exciting thing about what i'd say is like our it, career too and that's kind of interesting too that you bring that up mike one thing too like like talking about that even with our past management um that situation too like like you said did revolve around that time frame things right. have changed so much so i think that's interesting like is that so just being a manager for, you know, well, at least all the 2000s, right? How long have you been a manager? Yeah, I mean, I started in 2004. Yep. So, I mean, since 2004, I mean, so much has changed. So now has your job really become, because I mean, back, I mean, when we were first starting everything, it was, it really was, uh, oh man, make your show better. So you need to get these lights or the, right. you know, this in-ear monitors or these scrims and stuff. Are you, are you still having to do stuff like that? Or is it yeah, moved I mean, really to like the, the direct stuff, like the, you know, uh, packages that you sell to meet people or give lessons or all that stuff. Are you, are you having to think that far, how far outside the box do you have to think? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in, and the interesting thing, Toby, is like all of the stuff that your managers were encouraging you to do. I mean, we still encourage artists to do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it surely depends on the artist. And we like to be able to sit down with them and look at a budget and talk about like why we're doing that. Like, why are we reinforcing the live show? And again, I'm a firm believer that if everything that you do is of quality, everything else will rise in conjunction with it. There might be a lag and I've done it with, you know, my own company. And so, yeah, throughout the two thousands, things have drastically changed. I mean, my wife will walk in here into my office and say, wow, you you know, or maybe not my wife, maybe uh, other professionals will walk in and say, it looks like you're running a record label. Why? Because I have a graphic designer in here. I have somebody who's focused on merchandise and staffing. I have somebody that does sponsorship and endorsements. You know, I've got assistants. We've got a conference room. We've got, you know, a business person. We've got all of the tools that I think are necessary to support a band in, you know, the the 2000 teens. 
um, you know, we're halfway through the 2000 teens. And so, yeah, I mean, we've gone and I've been a, a big supporter of all of these, you know, added sources of revenue, whether it be teaching lessons, you know, whether it be uh, the VIP packages that you're alluding to, whether it be, you know, concerts through the Internet as opposed to just going out and playing live or, you know, any number of extra things we're paying attention to because every dollar surely counts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of fans don't realize that either. I, some people get pushback on, oh, man, I got to pay extra $5 to meet somebody or get in a little early. But the thing is, you are literally with that supporting the band. You know what I mean? Like you really are giving your money. Like you love this band and it is a moment in time where you get to, you don't have to go through a record label. You don't have to go through anybody else. It's, it's you know, you're you're getting to see that band and helping them get down the road. So I think it's like almost like the most intimate way, one, maybe not the most, but, but a, a more intimate way to support the band, maybe even get an acoustic show out of it, whatever it might be. So I, that's why we were on board with it because, I mean, we, we offer stuff like that and we don't force anybody. If, if you don't want to so do Toby, it, please that, don't. So you're saying it's more intimate that way. And to be clear, it is more than $5. But oh, yeah. what Toby's <laughs> suggesting here is the, uh, even in a bigger Man, way, you blew he it. advocates for exchanging money for intimacy. Essentially, yeah, right. So I've always general, done that. It's just yeah. always been a part of my nature. What are, what are people? What what are people upset about, Toby? I don't get. No, that. well, people think that you're just scamming your fans. Like, they say hey, it this you, way, they say, "Oh, I saw so and so after the show, and I met them all at the bus. I didn't have to pay anything because those guys are cool, but these other guys are dicks because they're selling VIP well, packages to shake my hand." And you know, and I think that's I the you. distinction. And sort of like when a bunch of crowdfunding stuff came out, and you know, I've run five plus successful crowdfunding campaigns there was a you know especially our generation there was this um backlash against it oh we're you know what are you going to do with all that money you yeah. know and it's like I, misery signals we did one you know we put up for 50 grand they got 100 grand i mean they bought a van out of it but after that the net on the thing was pretty much moot yeah um, we know that we're experiencing know, that right now yeah so again i think it's just it's cool because all of these new tools come up and with the crowdfunding stuff, as well as the VIP, it's about what you're willing to, to give the fan, you know, that establishes whether or not it's, it's good or not. Yeah. I mean, if you guys were to say, Hey, it costs a buck to shake our hands, that, that probably isn't going to go over very well. But if you say, Hey, it's 30 bucks and you get into the show early, you get to see an acoustic song, we're going to sign, you know, the poster, you get a laminate, like you're providing something of value and people can determine very, you know, on their own, whether they want to participate right. or not. Like you said, you're not forcing them to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is, there's always going to be a learning curve with that stuff because the, the, you know, the models. Yeah. And, and it goes back to what you said is I, I think a lot of people don't want to ever think of a band as a business, but you have to, or you won't exist. Or I mean, you exist, have yeah. to, like, I, like I, I want, I, I think we try to take care in crafting our songs and creating songs that we like first and then presenting them to people. So why wouldn't we do that with our presentation of those songs? Or, I mean, I mean, like right now, you know, I mean, when we first started, I wasn't married. Now I'm married with three kids and to be away is a ton. And right. I have to make sure it's worth it 
financially for my family because I'm missing my other job. I have to, you know, just to make ends meet, it has to be financially a right way. It has to be a certain amount of time, all those things. And I think sometimes people, and, and I, I'm kind of generalizing here. Most of the feedback is really positive. People love it that they get to see an acoustic show beforehand, that we get to actually talk and hang out and do things like that. I, I think pe- most people really like it, but there are, you know, the loudest voices that a lot of times are in the minority, but still it's just, uh, sometimes it's frustrating. I don't think people, I think you're exactly right. Even, even bands don't, they, they think of it as just art, but if it's just art, do it in your garage. But if, if it, it, if you want to start selling it and touring it and selling tickets and all that stuff, it really is a business. You have to look at it that way. And I think if you look at it that way, you're actually doing a, a, a better job of, uh, overseeing your product or your music or your art or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, how long is it taking you guys to really come to that conclusion? Yeah. I mean, Oh yeah. yeah a long time. Yeah. And so that sure. I think is, you know, and even myself, like I said, I, I, you know, when I was in my twenties, um, I don't think I would have been, you know, fiscally mature enough, or you know, been able to see it that way. It's like once you, it's once you go through all of these experiences, you know, you guys are the sums of all of the positive experiences as well as the negative experiences, and now you're forced to look at it as a business because if not, you, you know, your wife isn't going to let you do that because you have a responsibility to your family, and so those of us that have, you know figured out how to make any of this work as we've, you know, gotten older, like it's because, you know, it's like each, we have to look at it that way. We don't yeah. have another choice. Well, mm-hmm. what I was going to say too is now one thing that, you know, that we like having, Mike, I guess you would, would you consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic or where, where are you at with like spiritual stuff? Atheist. So have, have you always been, were you raised in church or anything or just always been? In, no, like, I mean, you know, I had an interesting uh, family upbringing. My mother was, Catholic and my dad was uh, Protestant. He, you know, he never, he was in the army and I'm sure he believed uh, and still believes in, um, you know, some sort of God, but we weren't really a a church raised family. And I think eventually my mom, uh, you know, kind of gave up on it. It wasn't, it wasn't like a huge part of, of my makeup. It's interesting because my sister who's older and my brother who's younger are both religious, but I think I kind of caught that punk rock, yeah. Um, you know, like question everything bug. And yeah. That's what I was going to, that's what I was going to ask you that, that DC scene, is that where you kind of grew up and it was just that, uh, no, I mean, actually, you know, my, I grew up all over my dad, like I said, he was in the military. So we moved around a bunch. Um, you know, I lived in the South. I lived, uh, in the Midwest. I lived out West at Fort Lewis, which is out near you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Germany. I lived in Korea. Um, yeah. and then, um, I finished school in Santa Barbara, California college, and then I moved to DC, but, um, I always kind of had some ties here through the hardcore scene. Yeah. So, so without God, how are you such a honest and nice guy? <laughs> Where do your morals come from? Cause we've known you for a long time and I have to admit, I mean, I always felt like you were just a really a straight shooter and a good dude. Like it is, I mean, we, we I wish we had more time to tell stories, but I mean, hanging out with you is usually like one of the highlights of a tour for us. Cause we know it's going to be really fun. We're going to have a good time and hang out and lots of laughs. Wait, are and you, are you I really guys do coming consi- through again soon and you're trying to guilt me into coming out and hanging well, out? 
yeah, I would love it if you take us out to eat you'll dinner. It would just be yeah. awesome. No, Toby, Toby's about to ask you if you'll receive Jesus into your yeah. heart. <laughs> no, what I was going to say, wait, though, is... is, wait, is wait, what, what, where, where am I supposed to receive him? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but where do you think, like, your... Uh, the, you, the, your your good guy morals come from well, like right. a, like I, running a good business even like I mean you you run an honorable business I would say yeah thank you I mean and it's one of the things I pride myself on and you know I think that comes from you know my family and yeah. whether it's because you know they were uh, religious or not I don't know what bearing it has on that you know I mean yeah. my dad through the military learned you know very. Uh, you know, he instilled in me and, and not even directly when I look back on it. I mean, it's, it, we come from a long lineage of military families and my brother and I are the only two that have gone out and we run our own businesses, which is kind of weird. Um, it's also kind of cool, but I think like, you know, and my dad has been a great resource to me. Um, you know, and I look up to him for, you know, his honesty, his integrity and his loyalty, which I think are, huge proponents of like how or components of like how and why we're having some success. You know, you guys have known us a long time and you've seen how our organization has developed and whether you've paid really close attention or not, you know, I've always tried to view how what I can do today will not necessarily pay off today. It might pay off in five years. Yeah. You know, it might pay off in 10 years. It might pay off you know, next week, but I've always tried to make, you know, the business decisions, um, based on, you know, on that long term growth, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not here to make a quick buck. And, you know, one of the things, and I've been doing a lot of like educational initiatives, Kevin Lyman has that new entertainment Institute and I'm teaching some workshops on that. Um, and I'm speaking at some colleges, but like, I always say that the way that we manage artists is we make decisions for and with the artist based on how it benefits the artist. I never think like, you know, how it's going to benefit me, you know, obviously I've got to run my own business, but I believe that if I do write by the artist consistently over time, it will eventually come back to me. Um, and it might not be in the direct form of compensation monetarily. It might just be in terms of, you know, opportunities. Um, you know, a perfectly good example is in 2012, you know, Refused got back together and played a bunch of shows. Yeah. And, you know, their manager who has managed them since the dawn of time and managed the International Noise Conspiracy when I was their tour manager, you know, we've remained very good friends. He asked me to come on and, you know, help the band during that time. And, you know, I wasn't cut in monetarily you know, to an equal degree as he was, but I, you know, I did the work that, you know, I never said it was never within, you know, the realm of questions to say, well, I can't do that. You're not paying me enough. You know, that never dawned on me. My thought process was go do the best job that you can possibly do because it's an honor to be associated with an act like that. One, they're friends of mine Two, They've just got such an amazing legacy. And now here they are in 2015 back together and I co-manage the band. You co-manage them right now? I do. That's Damn. awesome. Hey, can you, you got to, obviously you can get me into the Seattle Crocodile show then. It's sold out. 
Um, I'm a lock on that then, right? Well, well, way to put them on the spot, man. Sold out. I mean, we'll probably do. I mean, what if we just do a bad Christian after party? (laughs) Yeah, can we open? Can the podcast open for refused at the crocodile? Would they, or better yet, get one of those guys on the show. There you go. We can talk to Dennis. Be, I heard Dennis on Ray's podcast. It was awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was you know before they even came back and yep. were, were hey, doing all of this. So a question I'm dying to ask before we get off with you here is you said that you were, when you were young, you are like tooth and nail. It was the enemy. Um, I, know, I know part of that was joking, but you were young and probably part of you was did you hear some of the bands and like, damn it, they, that really is pretty good. That kind of sucks that they're Christians and they're pretty good. <laughs> Dude, Joey, you knew the most obscure freaking band. It was so amazing to me. You know, like it just um, seems like yesterday, man. Just seems like yesterday. I mean, and it's sort of funny because I was, you know, I was like a very DIY punk hardcore dude. And like, I was very much a hardcore guy. And so yeah. like, even, you know, I mean, so much of the stuff, and, and and Ray Harkins did. He asked me an interesting question. He was kind of like, "How did you go from you know this guy that was into that, and now you're into, you know, this other music that you're into?" And and I had to really think about it. But the the thread, the common thread that tied it all together for me is like, I genuinely enjoy the people component of this business. You know, yeah. I like that. I've gotten to meet guys like yourselves. You know, and here we are. We haven't seen each other in a few years, and we get on the phone, and we're you know, cutting away like you know, like we yeah. haven't even missed a step. Yeah. And, you know, as I transition, I'm in my forties now, you know, I look at my role, not only to help bands within Dang their businesses, go. but, but I know guys believe it. Um, <laughs> and the, the nice thing is I just keep getting, no, nah, never mind. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I look at myself as a mentor, you know, I, 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 I oftentimes manage bands where kids are, you know, in their, sometimes their teens and in their early twenties. And now, you know, I mean, I, I view myself in a much different role and the role that I can play, you know, for them and for younger people within the business. Yeah. So, but yeah, Joey, I really love the music and um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the package that you send me with the entire discography of uh, of Now. <laughs> Did you see Christian music change? Like, for sure, back that long ago, um, it was so rare to find a, a Christian band that was good or anything like that, or that would even that they didn't even exist that much. And now, over this amount of time we've seen, have you seen that change a lot, or is that just from my point of view? That now it's like, oh yeah, it's just, there's tons of bands that may or may not be Christians or whatever, but there's a lot of them that are good. It used to be way more stigmatized. Do you think? Yeah, completely. You know, I mean, I think the first ones that I ever really paid any attention to was like Focused. You know, I was yeah. living in Southern California and was involved in the straight edge scene and. You know, in a weird way, it would like, I, I don't know, it like would frustrate us and make us angry that there was this entire alternative scene where, you know, like it was, and I don't know why that was. I mean, I think just part of being young, you know, sometimes is is being angry and being angry at what's different. You know, if, if there's one thing, and I, I can thank my wife and, you know, a lot for this is like, she's taught me to try to look for, you know, the commonalities between people as opposed to the differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's an amazing, like, paradigm shift in the way that you think. And I'm not always, you know, great at it. But it's like, had we, had I had that maturity back then, 
I'm sure I could have gotten so much out of the relationships with those people. You know, we're yeah. pretty much the same. We probably had 80% of things in common. Sure. Okay, they worship Jesus Christ and I can't like them. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Would you tell your bands today to avoid taking a Christian band, like as to open for them or whatever? No. I mean, you know, I think it, it, it can be interesting. You know, one of the bands that's within the world that, you know, I deal with a lot is that band for today. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're very, like, preachy about things. You know, and, and so there are some questions when it comes to that of, like, you know, and it, it, it's weird because it all goes back to, like, this business component of things. And so if you think about Emory as a headliner, when you go out, you know, you're curating from top to bottom. And, you know, sometimes the, the opening band is there because, you know, their labels made a marketing commitment or they're willing to, you know, help you guys with, you know, uh, gear and transportation, but whatever it is. But like, you know, when you put your like manager branding hat on is you want the fan to walk away from that night with like everything was you know, everything was great, and yeah, it was, you know, Emery that put that bill together. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. because, I mean, the, at the end of the day, like, to some degree, I definitely understand it was like, if that guy's going to preach from stage, that is going to make the show worse for everybody. So, we don't want that on our bill. And I, right. I, I would say that for us, too. I mean, that, I'd say that for us. I don't want a Christian band that's really going to preach a bunch or do weird stuff on our bill. I don't even want that. And I'm a Christian. So, you, you know, know I mean? and, and that band, and you know, again, I don't want to get too much into it. I, I, you know, some of those guys in the band are, you know, very friendly when I see them out on tour, you know, we always shake hands and, and I want the best for them, but I know, you know, for a fact, like when they go on tours with different bands, there are sometimes they choose to tone down the amount of mm-hmm. preaching that they do, which I think is smart. I mean, you got to read your crowd no matter what you're doing. Um, you know, whether it be in your podcast, uh, you know, or when you guys play live, I'm sure there's some sense of you trying to understand what the audience is. And probably by and large, it's the same most nights. But, um, you know, I think that that's an effective strategy for, for any artist out there. Well, you know, you just have to remember they're not a band, they're a ministry. That's right. Uh, Moving on. Uh, (laughs) Hey, hey, Mike, is there anything you want to promote while while we got you these last couple minutes? Oh, man, I'm so terrible at this. Outer Um, Loop Management, all of your bands, and what else? Are you doing anything else? Uh, Well, I do Outer Loop Management. Um, We do Outer Loop Records, which is a partnership with Fearless Records. Um, We do an EDM label called Crime Kitchen, Um, I do some producer management with a guy in Chicago named Johnny Minardi. Um, We run everything through his website called Self-Titled Management. Um, And then, like as I said earlier, I'm doing a lot of education stuff with the Entertainment Institute. Um, It's an opportunity to, you know, for either young bands looking for, you know, advice on management or how to get a manager or young people trying to get into the business. Um, It's small workshops. you know, workshops in small groups where people can come in and really get, uh, you know, answer questions and get, uh, sorry, ask questions and they can have them answered in a capacity that's catered directly to them and their um, situation, which has been um, a ton of fun. So, Well, so this is Mike from Outer Loop Management, 
And uh, Mike Fight, sometimes he's known as, but his real name's Mike Mallory. But if you're, there he goes, the outro. <laughs> if you're lucky enough to get a chance to work with Mike, you should. He has our full endorsement, and good luck on all the stuff you do, Mike. Thanks for talking to us today. Thanks, guys. You're the best. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's right. good meeting you, man. Nice to meet you too, Joey. You freaking hick. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Mowry. I love that interview. Mike is so cool. Like, it it's really fun to talk to people who are in the music business. They don't take themselves that seriously, but do really serious work. Yep. Where they work hard and do. You know what I mean? Like that. That is just the the main thing that makes me love people. I guess it'll sound like I'm buttering him up or being like nice to our guests or whatever. But I'm telling you, managers really are. I, I said it in a little bit in the interview, but managers are. They're not that awesome to me. <laughs> They're just not. They're not the people that I get along with or believe what they do in a lot a lot of ways is the best. Right. However, Mike, I really, really believe in and like. So that sounds like I'm just saying that, but I, I guess that I, to me that really is true. Like I would be if he would if he would manage our band for some price we could afford, I would be super all about yeah. it. Like I would be very. And, and happy I would like to that. clarify that with he's worth it. We oh, just yeah. can't afford yep. it. Yeah. I mean, he, he really does care about his bands. He really does work hard. And that, I mean, he's like one of the managers that I met that I was like, man, this guy's dope. I but mean, on the really flip is- side, like I said, I have a hard time getting along with managers. And I guess what they do to me, the way it feels to me, is they don't always, and this is Mike excluded here, but a lot of times what managers are like are they like to cause confusion and they like to name drop and they like to just make things sound vague and then pretend like they're the expert and you need to trust them. That's the vibe I get from six out of eight managers, I I would say, that I deal with. And I don't know, maybe that's me being jaded or or, uh, cynical or something like that. Well, I think the reason why is because bands think we write music. Our our skill that 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 we're the best at is writing lyrics, yeah. creating bass lines, guitar parts, drum parts, all that stuff. The business side, we need somebody to help us. And if they could just take a second and realize, hey, wait a minute, we can understand this. It wouldn't make the whole thing go better. And a lot of bands do that, and it really is great. But do you, do you remember when we were between managers and we took manager meetings? How those yeah. things went? It was crazy. Yeah. Like we would go meet somebody at a restaurant, and they would take us out, and they would they would show up in like Porsches and fancy cars. Yeah, which I cannot understand because the only reason they would do that is because it must work. Like they, oh, yeah. I drive a Porsche, and this I'm the big I'm, shot. I make money. So you're gonna make money, right? But to me, I see I feel it the total opposite way. I'm saying. I make enough money to have a used Subaru, and you're going to be driving a Porsche because of me. Right. That's what I take yeah, away. I, from. I totally agree. I mean, that's just what I mean. Yeah. That's just it. I don't. I don't like. I don't think. Oh, you have a, a Mercedes, so I better trust you. That is not the way my brain works. Right. But I think it obviously it must work. So anyway, it does work. Uh, I mean, jo- Joey, do you would you want a manager for your personal life? Do pastors have managers? They should. Yeah, you probably need one, don't you? Um, I mean, I have an administrator. So, <laughs> do you have like a person that like sees to it that you grow the Joey Svensson brand? Could no. you like hot, would it be what would it be like if pastors were like, yeah, this is serious. I need a manager. I mean, they kind of probably do in some ways, right? I think Every, that probably exists a lot, and that that definitely makes. But me they would feel never word it that way. Like your job is to grow my platform and brand for me to. Every pastor pays a lot of money to an administrator because they think, I can't handle the business part of it. I have to focus on my artistic 
Artistic? Uh, they don't say that either. They don't say that. But the, I mean, they, they think no. they got to focus on my uh, the the skills that that God has given me Call, to just, deal called, with the people. That's called your calling. Your calling. Yeah, yeah. it's not well, your artistic all, abilities. I mean, but I mean, <laughs> how, how much all, do you think that administrators make as much as a lot of managers for bands? Probably. No, they make way less. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll plead my case that our our church administrator. Uh, very little of her time is spent assisting me. So you're you're uh, so humble. No, I would say though that the amount of assisting that she does uh, supply for me does increase um, the workload that I'm able to take on and and do other stuff. I mean, it's just like like what? What's the other know, stuff Matt? you do? Well. Spending more time with people, spending more time uh, thinking through different ways of you know, doing stuff for our church, meeting with you and brainstorming stuff. I mean, if I'm managing my own sure. schedule and trying to make right. appointments with people and answering sure. all my emails, answering all the phone calls and all that stuff, that, then I'm not doing that sort of thing. I mean, it's it's the same thing with any deal with looking for efficiency. I mean, how would you, you know, take Matt, this though, Joey? How would you take this? And I mean, like, what would be the way, what would be the pushback on a situation like this? A non-Christian manager who managed bands approached you and said, Joey, I think you've got unbelievable talent. I think you could be unbelievable. I think we could put you on the biggest stage. And, you know, that stuff you believe about Jesus. You're going to help people. Yeah, because I know that stuff you believe about Jesus is like what you really care about, and I can help you do that. And so since you care about reaching people, I could help you reach way, way more. And those things y'all call conversions, I could really increase that a ton. And a lot of more people would do, as you say, meet Jesus. And I want to get, you know, paid this much, but it'll definitely help you a ton. And more will be done in. Jesus's name, as you say, because I have the skills to do that, and I think you, Joey, have the talent to do it. So, what do you think? Yeah, I think I would say no, just because I I think I have become a little too jaded of that pastoral role of being this crazy savior slash influencer that everybody needs to listen to and all that. I would rather um, when it when it comes to more exposure, I would rather it be through the context of what we're doing here. And I don't necessarily know if that's any better. I mean, as far as motivate motivation, I mean, I think the three of us, yes, we're unapologetically trying to grow a business for supplemental income. But I do think deep down inside, we do obviously believe that what we're saying and the approach that we take in life, more people should adopt. I mean, we really do think that there's no way of getting around it. So, yeah, we want more exposure. We want more people to listen to our podcast. So, I don't. Is that any better than if I were to say, yeah, I would jump on that opportunity in a heartbeat, man, for a better platform for Jesus and all that stuff? Is there a difference? I, I don't think you yeah. would. I mean, I I think yeah, I know you well enough to know that I don't, that's not your goal. Your goal is not a platform. So that I I agree with that. I do, I do think uh, that your administrator is a band manager, though. Moving on. What we need right now <laughs> is something that can – man, I feel like you Cut are kind of – you kind of been talking about the system and the man, that yep. is, you know, how, how it works to – people want to jump on creativity and use it for their own gain. But you know what you, stands in the face of that? What does? Truth. Let's do it. Damn Truth. In a world where you started a band and hired band managers, but your best friend became a local pastor and hired administrator. <laughs> 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 My name is Sylvia Morrell, and this is The Damn News.
All right, my first news segment actually was requested by Matt, and I'm uh, you know Joey gets to actually once a month or whatever. Uh, it's a terrible time of the month. It's, it just devastates me that he gets to do one story. Yeah, do one story a month. But Matt wanted to talk about because we know tons of bands and we've been on Warp Tour a few times and. So right now, this has kind of been going on. It's kind of been contested, and people are really talking about it. So uh, this comes from AbsolutePunk.net. I'm sorry, AbsolutePunk.net. Uh, after a, after a Change.org petition showed up over the weekend asking Warp Tour to remove Austin Jones from the tour, Kevin Lyman, who is the owner of Warp Tour, said he would take all YouTubers off the tour, but is now clarified that he needs to go through due process first. And I guess that means verifying the facts. As most of you know, Front Porch Step was removed from Warp Tour for asking for nudes from underage girls. Well, now we have another celebrity who girls from ages 12 to 18 plus idolize. Austin Jones is now taking advantage of his fame. On numerous accounts, he has pressured girls as young as 13 into sending him videos of them twerking. As a 15-year-old girl, this is a girl that wrote this this little piece here, 15-year-old girl that wrote it, I find this disgusting. I feel that Austin Jones should be taken off Warp Tour. So basically, let, let me just kind of paraphrase this a little bit. There's, yeah, please do. Warp Tour is having a bunch of YouTubers this year. Guys, guys who have built their fame on YouTube come actually out on the tour, and some of their fame revolves around them asking for underage girls to do things sexually, twerking, potentially nudes. And they said they just sent it out there. They didn't know for sure that that was what they were doing, but people are pissed because they asked for that, and now this is happening. So people said, hey, kick them off Warp Tour, kick them off Warp Tour. Is it the YouTuber's responsibility when they ask for something to censor that. Is or it, is, or that is it Kevin Lyman's responsibility right. to not have people like that on the tour and all, all that? There's tons of really good questions here. So, I mean, for, for me, I'm thinking, on one hand, I've been on tour. I've heard stories about these band dudes with these underage girls. Yep. I've heard that stuff tons of times. And interestingly enough, now it's a time when th- it's easier to get the word about that stuff. Like, it would have never been made its round on the Internet, what I heard right. uh, in 2006. That wouldn't have been out there as much as it is now but on the other hand um is it is it too crazy that people can just make a big deal about stuff and get people kicked off tours and this and that whatever and kevin lyman who owns warp tour who i respect a ton i think he's great he wrote an article back about this um just explain the situation and saying what he thinks is what what it is and stuff like that And and on some level it's it's like i mean that it's just a big question on whether or not he, should he do whatever everybody wants him to do? Right. And how was his responsibility to know everything that everybody could possibly do ahead of time and answer to the, the waves of internet people? I, I don't have any really yeah, strong it's, thoughts Yeah, there's a little bit it. of an update here on this article. It says, Lyman is investigating all of the YouTubers' backgrounds and alleged transgressions before making a decision regarding their participation on this year's Warp Tour. The word pedophile is a strong, strong term, yeah. Lyman tells Alt Press. While the world can be screwed up at times, there is a criteria for things. In the court of the internet, people's lives are being dragged out in front of the world with no due process. Oh, that's right. This is what he yeah. said. He said the word pedophile yeah. is being like... Uh, it might be a little bit of a misappropriation of yeah. the word pedophile to say somebody that asks in general are 
to people to send twerking videos, does yeah. that person a pedophile? If so, that's crazy because it really defiles, it really demeans right. the, the meaning of the word pedophile, which is vile, disgusting, one of the worst possible things you can be. Right. And now you're saying an irresponsible 20-year-old that could do that is that. So it's it's kind of crazy. So that was one of his points I thought was really good. Sure. I mean... Uh, On the other hand, what are you going to do? Stick up for that guy, you know? So it puts yeah. you in that weird polarizing position. Joey, do you have an opinion on this at all? Do you un- yeah, I mean, if I'm lineman, I I definitely I I wouldn't want these guys representing Warp Tour. Uh, for what reason? Just because of it. It sounds like you're saying that they made a lot of money in pursuing young females to do sexual stuff. Yeah, and that's bad. That's awful. They, of I don't course. know if they're necessarily when you say pursuing young females. A guy goes on YouTube and says, "Send in twerking videos." That there's no forceful pedophilia there. No, I, he didn't for, force himself upon that. Now he used his platform or fame in a way that yeah. I would say say is some, derogatory. Some of these and cases do involve uh, uh, people asking knowingly right. asking underage people for nudes, though. Right. Some of these cases yes. do involve that. Right. That, so, that is, I guess that, all I'm it, saying is the warp tour is the warp tour. So if if that's what he's setting out to have that sort of uh, environment, then okay. All I'm saying is, if I had a music festival of that caliber, which I never will, because I'm not as talented as this don't say guy, that. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that sort of thing. So yeah. obviously, if there's a dude that's trying to get 15 year olds to send twerking videos, it's a no brainer. All right, no, how about this, Joey? They, what come to what, the festival and enjoy it? At what age can Rosa go to Warp Tour with their friends? Uh, I've never been to Warp Tour, but I would say, uh, hopefully I've done my job as a parent and, you know, once she's up, upper high school, um, I'll ask a lot of questions and I, I, I would imagine I would probably let her do that, but I, I guess what I don't age? know. I, upper high school. Like 16. Joe, Toby, what about, what about Ruby? When can she oh, go hold to Hold on, hold on. That, that, hold on. That's with very, very limited information. I mean, I don't, I don't have... The context of Warp Tour that you guys have, I have, so I would have to know a lot more. Toby, when can you know all about Warp Tour? When can Ruby go? What age? I mean, I, you know my stance. I think that my kids are going to do bad things. There's almost, uh, it, I mean, it, it almost feels irresponsible for me to say take a hard stand on Warp Tour as opposed to going to their friends having house. a car yeah, yeah, you know what i mean like like i mean they're gonna when they spend the night something bad's gonna happen i mean it just is like we were talking to our good friend jennifer williamson her daughter is about to graduate high school and her this the stage of life that they're at with their daughter is do we uh keep like the uh, know the the app where they know where her phone is and what's going on because she's on she's at prom do we know and she might hopefully she's not offended by what i'm saying but they actually trust their daughter and love their daughter and didn't go overboard with control. But so, it's but, scary but, but for a parent, tour for Ruby, no matter though, what. I'm saying, you, you do have all the information, so what do you think right now? Uh, well, spending the night with Ruby, with a friend is, the, is just as bad, if not worse. Going to Warp Tour for Ruby 14. is, she's going to see a few crazy things, but most likely I don't think anything that crazy yeah. is going to happen. Yeah, I really do think they're going to mostly see bands and – there might be somebody smoking marijuana or doing something, whatever. But I, but I mean, I actually think it's more dangerous for my daughter to go stay at her friend's house and potentially boys come over there. Yeah, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I do think that that that's worse. So sure. I just don't. I that's the thing I don't like is 
it's just somebody, Kevin Lyman, that in the court of public opinion right now, oh, these people said something, so let's bash the whole thing. And Kevin Lyman's stupid for doing that. And he's just trying to run a business. So it's just, it's tough. I mean, Joey could invite somebody up on stage at church and they say something irrehensible. Is that the right word? Reprehensible. (laughs) Reprehensible. (laughs) Reprehensible. And, uh, it might back really backfire. What if somebody gave a really detailed story about their sexual history or whatever, and it'd be really bad? So totally. Anyway, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, this comes from Fox News. Uh, I just thought this was interesting, just because we've created this business called Bad Christian, and we care about money and all this stuff. Who? <laughs> <laughs> really good. Really That's good. all we care about. Hulu acquires the streaming rights for Seinfeld for nearly $180 million. In another sign that Hulu is stepping up its game, the digital video giant has landed the streaming video on-demand rights to Seinfeld, cutting a deal with Sony Pictures TV for all 180 episodes. The deal is said to be valued at just under $1 million an episode. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's 180 for 180 So, I mean... Are we ever going to make any money and just no, be able, no. yeah, I mean, it's just it, what, what we do is not about money. Could this I mean, get like maybe this this show blows up after the fact, like maybe after Joey dies or something? Yeah, and then we get syndication. <laughs> yeah. and then we can just split it two ways. Maybe. Joey, could would you at least if you really do care about Matt and I and our families, <laughs> could you die? It would just like it would go back in the first first ninety episodes get picked up by some something. Then we don't have to split it two ways. That would really be good. Uh, Joey. Don't you care about us? Do you even care? I mean, what what would be what would be pretty awesome is if one of us really turned on the other person, and like, let's say Toby starts to threaten Matt from Charleston to Seattle, dude, I am going to find a way to kill you, and him be convincing enough to where people have to catch the other ep- the next episode to hear whether or not Toby follows through. You know, like if we make it like a sequential, um, murderous, scandalous. Uh, what's going to happen next sort of thing could could explode, man. You may have missed the point there. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but honestly, I really do appreciate you ruining my news. Next story. This comes from <laughs> Yahoo. Hey, you, it you, is 12.09. I'm, I'm running out of steam. We I'm, appreciate you I'm hanging trying. in there. Yeah, we do appreciate that. For we'll be sure. done it's in a su- second. It's super late for Joey, and he is hungry. U.S. woman jailed after McDonald's shooting over baconless burger. Mm-hmm. Matt, how many times have you shot <laughs> or attempted to shoot somebody over your burger not being made the right well, way. Well, just as Jesus says in my mind, <laughs> think about it, many times in my mind, which uh, Jesus I, says is the same, so I'd have right. to confess a lot. Right. Uh, and this is in Washington, by the way. Your, your state is just jacked. It's just awful. A Michigan woman was sentenced to three to seven years in prison after firing her gun at a McDonald's drive-thru when her hamburger was delivered twice without bacon. <laughs> Shanika Monique Torres, 30 years old, was convicted in March of carrying a concealed weapon, discharging a firearm into a building, and felony use of a firearm, according to the ABC affiliate. A judge sentenced her to serve three to seven years in prison at a hearing on Tuesday. Torres visited a McDonald's drive-thru with a friend on the night of February 10th and ordered bacon cheeseburgers. 
Uh, when the meal arrived with no bacon, a manager apologized and offered her a free meal. She returned several hours later and again received her hamburger without the bacon, at which point she screamed at the restaurant worker and pulled a handgun from her purse and started firing rounds into the building. Goodness. Where did you say this was? <laughs> it's from Yahoo. But where was the location? It was in Washington. It, does, it doesn't say the city. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. You're right. It says Washington, but it's actually in Grand Rapids. That's weird. I know. I don't understand why it says, it says Washington. Maybe maybe it's just uh, the Washington. I think it might have been Washington, News. Uh, D.C. Why don't you get your news straight before you actually present it? <laughs> like, why don't you figure out some details? Good one, Joey. Good Lord. Yeah. No, tell us more stories about... Never mind. Go so, ahead. So the, the, the thing about McDonald's is they get a ton of press. They get a ton of stories of this having McDonald's, this having McDonald's. But there's right. more McDonald's than anything else. That's true. So it's, you don't let this, this ought not reflect negatively on McDonald's or their clientele, in my opinion. I'm a big supporter of McDonald's. One of the biggest, in fact. I, it's a restaurant that yeah. I really like or that I care about and value. So I don't, I don't, I would like to defend them a little bit yeah. here and say, don't blame it on McDonald's. They do their, their business so well that there's so many, that obviously bad stuff's going to happen. Bad I, stuff's going to happen one way or the other, but there's, there's more than 10,000 probably of these in the United States. A couple things time. I wanted to end with this is there were no injuries reported, but the shots shattered the driver's side window of her car. <laughs> so she hurt her own self with that. She was arrested about one mile from the restaurant 30 minutes later, and her defense lawyer said the shooting was an accident. It was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's defense lawyers for you. I mean, if you can't prove any difference, somebody has to defend her, so that's, a, that's uh, not yeah, so bad. Yeah, exactly right. All right, that's the damn news, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. All right. Well, this news is brought to you. You know, these these names I'm having a struggle with. No. I'm, I'm struggling. You always I'm do so good. To, no, I'm struggling to like these people just because they contributed to the news. But then I start to think, no, I made them contribute the news. So... You know what? These people contributed to the Bad Christian Podcast as right. a whole. I'm not going to tie you into the damn news because some of you you just don't like it. They uh, love the news. Some of you will be yes. Well, some of them, a small percentage. So um, I'm going to play my percentages, and, and I'm going to say Adrian Wallace, thank you for supporting the damn news. Now the rest of you, thank you for supporting the BC Pod, and that's Clifton, Chad, Haggard. Yep. Dusty Coleman, Jeremy McKissick, Josiah Lair, Moses with an E between the O and the S. That's a crazy spelling. So it's like Mo from the Three Stooges and then Sis. Yeah, make fun of his name. Stephen Meyer, Travis Thabido, kind of like Sebado, the old indie band. Zach Hopper, Timothy Bloom, Nicole Rage. That's with a W. Is that Raggy or Rage? <laughs> <laughs> and then Sadie Sexton, and last but not least, uh, Kylie Nyman. <laughs> Okie dokie. Thank you, everybody in the BC Club, for supporting the BC Club. It, it supports all the stuff that we do. We do the podcast. We do music. We do our website, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Now, one of the things that what this is going for is we've been thinking about the BC Club for a long time, and we've started to accumulate, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. So we're actually going to start a BC Club. It's like gonna be a, a like a nightclub yeah just like a seedy nightclub <laughs> called the bc club we're gonna get some place in in manhattan somewhere and get, hell yeah it'll be like 12 dollar vodka drinks 15 dollar yeah. drinks it'll be just called the bc club yeah very rich be, clientele it's gonna be amazing thank you guys yeah. for supporting us all this time that's what the next step that's what BC. the bc club really is <laughs> 